All right, well, we are in week four of a series called It Would Take a Miracle. And this past Easter, we asked you all to fill out cards. We said, here's a card. And on the card, it said, it would take a miracle blank. And what would that miracle be that you would want to ask God for in your life? And we, we gathered those cards. We prayed over those cards. But then we thought, let's develop a series around them. Let's look at what, what some of the most popular topics were, and let's build some messages off of the topics that people are praying for in their life. And today's message is the one that surprised me the most. Today's message is titled, It Would Take a Miracle to Fix My Finances. I don't know if it's because of inflation or interest rates, but here was a few of the cards that came in. One person said, I need a miracle to get out of debt. Another person said, I need a miracle to be financially free, avoid bankruptcy. Another person said, it would take a miracle for me and my spouse to stop fighting about money. Another person said, it would take a miracle to win the lottery. <laughs> yes, it would. But here's what I realized as I read through some of these cards, it wouldn't actually require God to do a miracle. What I mean by that is, yes, we want to invite God into our finances. Yes, I believe that God can multiply our resources. But when it comes to getting out of debt, for example, it's not necessarily that it's required that God does a miracle. It's not that, oh, we just spent so much money on ourselves, and then, oh, God, bail me out with a miracle. What's required, what's necessary is a willingness to live by biblical financial principles. I used to get hesitant to talk about money in church. Part of that is because there's this perception, if you're kind of new to church or if you're cynical about church, you have this perception that, oh, the church just wants my money. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. All they talk about is money. But as I was reading through these cards that came in last Easter, it struck me that we have not done a full message on how to manage your money wisely in probably at least three years. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Over and over again, the Bible gives financial principles that work, but either many Americans don't know what those principles are or they're unwilling to live by them. Because consider a few of these statistics with me. Credit card debt in our country right now is over a trillion dollars. That is the first time in history that credit card debt in the United States has been over a trillion dollars. That equates to almost $8,000 per person. So if you don't have any credit card debt, that means the person next to you has about $16,000 of credit card debt. And maybe even more than that. If you're applying for a new credit card today and you're wondering, what's the interest rate on that? If I don't pay the full amount, it's 24%. So if you don't pay the full amount on your credit card, you are handing away 24%. What about car loans? 
Average American has a car payment of about $500 to $800 a month. That equates to $22,000 in car loan debt. Here's what I want you to know today. God has something so much better. God has something so much better for you and for me. But it seems that many of us, we see something and we go, oh, I got to have that. I, I need that. I want that. My wife woke up a couple of months ago and she checked her email and she said she had five emails from Amazon that said, thank you for your review. My wife does not review things on Amazon. So she clicked on this to see what in the world was going on. And here was the first review. It was these shorts and it said this, these shorts make me look like a cute little hot dog. These shorts just snatch up my whole body. I love wearing these to a fancy dinner with my babe. <laughs> my wife did not write that review, okay? I can personally tell you, there's, I've not seen those shorts at a fancy dinner with babe, okay? So she did not write that review. And I don't know what this says about a certain member of my family, but right away my wife knew it was our 13-year-old daughter. And it was true. My 13-year-old had logged on to my wife's Amazon account, and she went on a spree of reviews. Here was another one, this plate. She said this, I've never felt better than when I'm in the presence of this plate. I love this thing so much, I sold my dog for this plate. It's the perfect comforter when you're sad. This review is still up on Amazon, by the way. We had bought this plate, so we were preferred, like, actual customer. You can see the review. Then she reviewed the, this ankle knee brace. She said this, these are a cute option when you want to fake an injury at school <laughs> to get more friends. I owe these things for getting me some really nice friends. Now, my daughter was not writing this at a sleepover with her friends where they were just like, oh, this is going to be funny. She was by herself in her room at about 1 o'clock in the morning, supposed to be sleeping, cracking herself up, writing these reviews. And I have never been more proud. I was like, that is my girl. But here's the thing, oftentimes we read a review and we get sucked in, don't we? We read something and we go, oh, if I had that, I'd be on top of the world. I mean, if I had that, I'd look so cute at dinner. If I had that, I'd have more friends than I do right now. I need that. I want that. Harvard did a study in 2018. It was a first of its kind. They interviewed 4,000 millionaires. So some of them were like hundreds of millions, millionaires, and some of them had like a million dollars, but across the board, 4,000 millionaires. And they asked them this one question. They said, how much more money would you need in order to be happy? On a scale of one to 10, one being not very happy, 10 being you know, extremely happy, what would it take to get you to a 10? You wanna know what the most common response was? 10% more. 
Just 10% more. And it didn't matter if they were a millionaire with $1 million or $100 million. The most common response was just 10% more. The leading researcher in this study noted that the question that people are no longer asking is, do I have enough? The question that people tend to be asking is, do I have more than the people around me? Seems like wealth is like salt water. The more you have, the thirstier you become. Wouldn't it be something if we could say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned. So this isn't natural to us. You don't just wake up and all of a sudden you're a content person. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In other words, whether I have 100 million or 1 million. Whether I have 1 million or 1,000. Whether I have just a few hundred dollars to my name, I have learned the secret of being content. How did he learn this secret? He tells us in the next verse, he says, I can do all this. This being, I can be content with a lot, I can be content with a little. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. He wasn't looking to his outward circumstances. He wasn't looking to more things to bring happiness and joy in his life. He wasn't saying just 10% more. Because Paul understood that joy in life is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know today that no matter where you're at financially, there is hope for you. You might be in a situation in life where you're worried about retirement or you're anxious about bills that you have to pay or you're just scrapping by, you have nothing really to save. You might be fighting with your spouse regularly about finances. It's just a source of stress and strain in your life. And I want you to know that there is financial hope for you. You can fix your finances. And I don't think it diminishes the power of God to say that for many of us, it's not going to take a miracle. It's going to take a willingness on our part to live by the principles that are taught in the Bible. Too many people do not have a financial plan. They just sort of buy on impulse. They have no idea where their money is going, and it becomes a source of stress and strain in their life. So how do you fix your finances? Let me give you three ways. Here's the first one. Pay off your debt. Pay off your debt. Proverbs 22.7 says this, the rich rule over the poor... And the borrower is slave to the lender. Which means that every time you take out a loan for a new car, boat, ATV, appliance, every time you say, well, let's just not pay the full amount on the credit card, we'll just pay the minimum amount, you give away a piece of your freedom. The borrower becomes slave to the lender. How many of us have a car or a boat or some membership? We can't even enjoy the thing because the payment plans are stressing us out. 
Advertisers will tell you, oh, you can just have it in 10 easy payments. That's not true. I have never met a payment plan that is easy. Payment plans enslave you to people who do not know your name and they do not care. The borrower is slave to the lender. Every year, Forbes magazine publishes an article on the 400 wealthiest people in America today. 400 wealthiest people. These are people who financially are at a place most of us will never be and would, would like to be. This is a place where you're like, yeah, that wouldn't be so bad. 400 wealthiest people in America today, and they asked them this question in 2018. What is the number one key to becoming wealthy? 75% of them gave the exact same answer. Here was their answer. Get out of debt and stay out of debt. 75% of the wealthiest people in our country are going, hey, if you would like to get financially free, here's the number one key. You've got to get out of debt and you've got to stay out of debt. Now, you might be listening to this and going, well, yeah, yeah I'd like to do that. I mean, I, I really would like to get out of debt, but I don't know how. Let me walk you through what someone's debt portfolio might look like. So this person has a $450 payment that they need to make to Lowe's. That's a $50 minimum. So they're at Lowe's. They're going to buy like a circular saw, and they're like, you can get 10% off. And you're like, yes, and you signed up for the credit card, and you forgot about it. Then you've got a credit card payment of $1,200, minimum of $75 on that. You owe your parents $1,600, and you have a car payment of about $600 a month. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to find 200 extra dollars per month. You say, well, how in the world am I going to find 200 extra dollars per month? I don't know. Somehow you're going to find it. As author Dave Ramsey says, start selling stuff. Sell so much stuff, your kids worry that they're next. <laughs> I mean, name your dog Facebook Marketplace if you have to. Put the cat on Craigslist. If it's not bolted down, you are selling it. Or maybe you get a part-time job to get some extra income. Or you say, you know what, I'm going to get rid of some of these memberships that I have. I have to get rid of Netflix or Hulu. I have to get rid of NFL ticket on YouTube TV. And that one strikes a little close to home. But, but you're going, you know, that's just a little too expensive. I got to get rid of that because I need 200 extra dollars per month. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take your new $200. You're going to add it to the $50 minimum payment at Lowe's. And in just a couple of months, bye-bye Lowe's. Now, when you pay off the Lowe's credit card, here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to go, let's celebrate and buy a zero-turn mower at Lowe's. Okay, no, 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 no. You're going to cut up the Lowe's card, and you're going to take that $250 that you were spending to Lowe's, you're going to add the 75 minimum payment to your credit card. You're now going to take that $325, and you're going to use it to pay off your credit card. You don't need to be spending 24% on interest. Get rid of that thing in about four months. And from there, you just keep going. $325, you start to apply it to that loan that you took from your parents. You start to apply it to your car payment. And in several years, 
Yes, it may take several years, but in several years, you will be debt-free. I am telling you, this works. This absolutely works, but you have to have a willingness to say, I'm going to do what it takes to get out of debt. Here's the second way to fix your finances, and it's this. Establish a spending plan. I am about to blow your mind. Are you, are you ready for this? Like, if you're down front here, just grab on the person next to you for just a moment, okay? Because I am going to blow your mind. I am going to give you the best piece of financial advice that I have ever received or heard in my life. Here is the best piece of financial advice. Spend less than you earn. Yeah. Spend less than you earn. When you spend less than you earn, here's how this works. You have money left over for savings. You have money left over to be generous. Now, I realize I'm being a little sarcastic here, and there are some of us, we are in a hard financial season. And I just want to recognize that. If you're a student, you're in a hard financial season with school loans. If you go to the grocery store right now, you're in a hard financial season. I mean, I was at the grocery store. I'm looking at this thing of blackberries. There's like 10 blackberries in there, and it's seven bucks. I'm like, what in the world? I had to rent a truck. I didn't own a truck, but I had to rent a truck. Had to fill it up with gas. $88 to fill up this truck with gas. Interest rates are almost 8%. So if you're trying to buy a house, you're like, can't do it. So then you rent, and rent is high. So now you're house poor. And the cycle just kind of keeps going. So I realize that for many of us, you are in a difficult financial season. But for many others, the financial issue that we have in our life is we are spending more than we earn. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. He says, The plans... Do you have a financial plan? Are you tracking your expenses? For some of this, this might be the homework assignment. There's apps that will help you do this. You can make your own Excel spreadsheet. For all I care, take a piece of paper, write down every time you buy something. But are you tracking your expenses? Do you know where it's going? And do you have a plan? Here's one plan for you. 101080. 101080. 80. What does that stand for? Well, the first 10 stands for, I'm going to give 10% back to God. Everything I have belongs to God. And so I'm going to give to him first before I spend anything on myself. Some people say, well, you know, faith, what's the most important thing in your life? Oh, faith. Faith is, is the most important thing to me. And one of the things I always wonder is, well, what about your bank account? What about your expenses? I mean, for years, I, I went through this season where it's like, oh, yeah, faith is the most important thing. But when the rubber met the road, there was parts of my life where God wasn't number one. And so I needed to say, you know what, God, I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to give the first 10% back to your work in this world. The second 10% is savings. See, most people, we just kind of spend money on whatever we want, and then at the end, we're like, well, I got a little bit left over. We'll put that in savings. Do that first. 
Take 10%, put it in a Roth IRA, tax-free fund, don't touch it. And then live off the 80%. You say, well, I, I don't know if I can live off the 80% with my lifestyle. This is where it gets hard. You have to get your lifestyle into the 80%, which means you might have to make some sacrifices. In their best-selling book, The Millionaire Next Door, the authors wrote these words. They said, most people have it wrong about how you become wealthy. Seldom by inheritance, advanced degrees, or even intelligence, wealth in America has most often been the result of hard work, diligent savings, and living well below your means. Most of the wealthy got there by buying used cars, raising their kids to be financially independent, and rejecting big spending lifestyles. Proverbs 13, 11, He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Stop trying to hit the big one. It's not about winning the lottery. It's chipping away little by little. Here's an equation for you to remember. Savings plus time equals wealth. Savings over time will equate to wealth, but you have to establish an expense plan. Here's the third way to fix your finances, and it's simple. Put God first. Put God first. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first of your harvest, then your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, that was written to kind of an agricultural society. So you see words like barns and harvest. If it was written in today's vernacular, it might say, trust the Lord with your money. And the first part of your paycheck. And then you will always have plenty. Here's the question I want to ask you today. Do you believe that? Are you willing to say, God, I'm going to put you first, not just in some areas of my life, but I want to put you first in every area of my life. Let's get practical here for just a moment. What does it look like to put God first in our finances? Well, it starts with what the Bible calls a tithe. And a tithe means 10%. Here's what it says in Leviticus 27. It says, a tenth of the produce of the land whether grain or fruit belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Now, I've heard people say, you know, tithing, giving 10% right off the top, that's, that's something that was taught in the Old Testament. It's not taught in the New Testament. And I've read all those arguments. I think I understand them. But I can't get around what Jesus himself said in Luke eleven forty two. 42. He said this, you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Jesus' point here was, don't be the person who says, well, I give a lot of money so I can just treat people however I want. And you're missing justice and mercy and love. Those are the more important things. But that doesn't nullify what Jesus said in the first three words. You should tithe. And as if that wasn't clear enough, then he adds this word, yes. You might be skeptical, because I was at least. Why in the world would I take 10% of what I earn and give it back to God through the local church? There's two, two reasons. First of all, it belongs to God in the first place. 
I was at my daughter's volleyball game this week, and my wife had brought a bag of popcorn for me and my four-year-old daughter to share. And so we're eating the popcorn, and all of a sudden, you know, I took kind of a bigger you know, handful, and my four-year-old looks at me, and she takes the bag, and she goes, hides behind the bleachers. <laughs> so she's sitting over behind the bleachers, eating the food, kind of looking up at me. And so she finally came back, and I sort of kiddingly said, hey, thanks for bringing back my bag of popcorn. She looked at me. She's four years old. She goes, it's not your bag. And I had to say to her right there in the bleachers, I paid for it. And I'm having this argument with a four-year-old. I mean, she's cute, but they'll turn on you quick. And I just had to say to her, I said, I paid for the bag. Did you pay for the bag? And she's just silently kind of eating the popcorn, kind of looking around. But don't we do that with God? Don't we go, oh, God, it's, it's my bag. It's my money. It's my paycheck, God. I mean, I'm the one who got up when the alarm went off. I'm the one who went in and worked hard. I'm the one who stayed late. I'm the one who earned that raise. It's mine, God. But is it really? Deuteronomy 8, 17 says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands produce this wealth for me. In other words, God, I'm the one who got up. I'm the one who earned it. I'm the one who did it. But he says, remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I have breath. You have breath because God gave it to us. We have a mind we have hands, we have a body, we have the ability to earn and make money because God gave us that ability. Everything we have belongs to God in the first place. Second reason to give 10% is because I believe God blesses those who do. Now let me just quickly qualify this and say, it doesn't mean if you give 10%, you're going to get 15% back. There are, there are teachers who teach that. You can see them on TV, you can see them other places, and they'll say, hey, if you sow a seed and you give 10% to our church or our ministry, man, you're going to get 15% back. I just got to tell you, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that if you're walking with God and you're giving, that you're going to be wealthy and healthy all the time. That is a false teaching. But here's what the Bible does teach. Generous people prosper. Have you noticed this? Generous people prosper. They always seem to have enough. And sometimes the blessing that they receive is joy. Sometimes it's protection. Sometimes it's the knowledge of knowing that they, what they gave impacted another person's life. We have people who come to our church every weekend who are fighting for their sobriety. We have people like that right now. You're here and you're struggling with your sobriety. And sometimes those people hear a song or something in the message and they get in their car and they call their sponsor and they go, I need to go to AA. I need to go to Quest 180, our addiction recovery ministry. And they start to take a step towards their sobriety. We have people who come to our church every weekend whose marriage is off track. And they're not even sure what it is, but they're just fighting with each other and there's no intimacy and their marriage is not what they want it to be. And sometimes God does something. And they hear a song or they hear something in a message and they get in the car and they look at each other and they go, man, we got to be a team. 
We got to take a step and start working on our marriage. This is worth it. This is worth fighting for. We have people who come to our church every weekend who are spiritually struggling. And they're far from God and they don't know what they believe and they're dealing with shame and guilt over some sin in their life. And then they hear that God so loved the world. He so loved that person that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And they hear that and they go, yes, God, I want that. And their life and their eternity changes forever. No government, school, or organization has been ordained by God to do that work. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. No church, government, or nonprofit is going to prevail against the gates of hell. Which means that if you're here today and you're going, you know what, I don't really trust Eaglebrook Church. I want to give my tithe to Eaglebrook Church. I would say to you, that's fine. But you need to then find a different church that you can take ownership in. Because the church is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ working through his people and working through the church is the hope of the world. Which is why today I want to prayerfully challenge you to consider using the resources that God has given you to reach another person for Jesus Christ. Someone did that for you. A seat that you're sitting in was paid for by someone. It's not often even like a wealthy person. Sometimes it's a high school student, a college student who says, I want to experience the joy of giving and being a part of what God is doing. If you have never given before, test God in this. Malachi chapter 3 says it this way. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. All throughout the Bible, God says, do not test me, do not test me, do not test me. This is the one place where he says, you can test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. My father-in-law was $90,000 in debt from some bad decisions that he made. And part of his story was sobriety, and part of his story was recommitting his life to Jesus Christ, but part of his story was surrendering his finances to God and saying, God, I'm going to start to give, and I'm going to put you first in this area, and I'm going to trust you. And today he is debt-free, including his house, and he's able to be generous towards church and towards other people in his life. My wife and I started tithing when we were in college felt like a lot of money. It wasn't. At the time, it was like $1,000. We're like, I can't believe we're going to give that. But to us, it was a lot. And when I became a student pastor and she was staying home and we had kids and money was tight, I remember saying, this is the thing we cannot compromise. We've got to put God first. And I can just tell you story after story of times when there was an expense that wasn't as much as we thought it was going to be, or we got a bigger tax refund we thought we were going to. And all the ways that God provided for us in our life. Friends, I'm telling you, God can do a miracle in your finances. He can, but it starts by inviting God into this area of your life. And maybe you're somebody who says, you know what, I've been giving. I regularly am a person who tithes and gives. And I just want to say to you, thank you. 
We would not be able to have launched a campus in downtown Minneapolis a few weeks ago if it wasn't for the crazy, extravagant generosity of people like you. I want to tell you a story from Minneapolis, and I hope that as you hear this story, you go, man, I was a part of that. There was a little fourth grade boy who said to his small group leader on the opening weekend, he said, you know, we used to go to Anoka, but then our family moved to Minneapolis, and we haven't been able to go to church since. And I don't know if it had been months or a year or whatever it had been since they moved, but he said, we haven't been able to make it to church. And then he looked at his small group leader and just a cute little fourth grade boy with a big smile on his face. He said, I've been so excited for this campus to open. Here's this little fourth grade boy who gets to go to church every week now. And think about the difference that's going to make in his life as he becomes a young adult and he starts his own family to have a regular church experience every week to learn about the Bible and to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. If you're someone who gives to our church, it's stories like that that you are giving to, that you are a part of. And so I want to say thank you. But I also want to invite you to do something that my wife and I do every year. We sit down once a year, we look at our budget and we go, could we give more? doesn't have to be 10%. We could give 11, 12, 15. I know people who give 25, 50%. But we just say, God, what could we do this year? And every year we evaluate it. Maybe you're a person who used to give but now doesn't, or you're a person who's never given before. I want to invite you to take what we call the generosity challenge. As you leave today, you're going to see these little cards. You can grab one. There's a QR code on there. Or you can text the word TEST to 77888, we'll send it to you. I know that sounds like an infomercial, but it's just the easiest way to get it to you. You can also go on our website, eaglebrookchurch.com, but here's what I believe. I believe that generous people prosper. I believe that God begins to honor when you put him first in every area of your life. And I used to be embarrassed to talk about that with people, and then I realized, why would I want to withhold that from people? Not to give out of a sense of guilt, but to give out a sense of joy and being a part of what God is doing in this world. What if you said, you know what, I'm going to give for three months. That's what the generosity challenge is. Put God to the test, give for three months. And at the end of that three months, if you're like, well, I don't know why I did that, it's, it's always easy to opt out. But to say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to honor you in this area of my life. And God, I want to see what you are going to do. If you want to take the generosity challenge, grab one of these cards as you leave or go on to our website. Let's pray together. Lord, first and foremost, you are generous. You gave your son who gave his life. God, you give so much to us, our life, our breath. Every good gift that we have is from you, Lord. And so, God, I just thank you that you are a God who gives. Lord, you say that generous people prosper, and I believe that's true. Lord, some of us are in debt right now, or some of us are in a financial situation that's difficult, and God, I pray for your hand upon our finances. I pray for the willingness to follow the principles that you lay out in your word. And God, I pray that we would see that those principles work. Lord, for those of us who have never given before, Lord, we put you to the test. We see how you might want to work in our life, God. And I truly believe 
that there are so many people out there who need your love. And oftentimes that just needs to be unleashed through our generosity. So Lord, I pray that as we evaluate and pray about this in our life, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to us about what to give and how to give and where to give. And God, I thank you that when we put you first in our life, that you honor that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, next week we are starting a series on a little book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk, and it's called God on Trial. We're going to ask the biggest questions. So if you know someone who's asking big questions, you want to invite them to church. We'll see you then.